Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Those with a fainting disposition may not wish to proceed with our horror show. The ultraviolence can have high stakes. <laughs> it was all humdrum and gray skies until the promised dinner at the abandoned Hollander mansion. And to think the Count is single, said Gloria, eagerly ruffling her handkerchief. It had been a gift from Jane the other occupant in the coach. Her father sat above. Their family was too poor to have more than one coachman, and old Bellwether had caught the flu. Now, Gloria, don't get too eager. He's mostly here because of the Ottomans and the Austro-Hungarians having their war. I don't think he's looking for a bride. Jane tried to keep her excitable friend from gathering up all the energy she had available and rolling over into the count. Besides, who knows what taste a European man can gain along and probably... She did not want to intimate that the Count lived a life well lived, so to say, uh, an adventurous career. Gloria ignored Jane's common sense. Yes, but he's a soldier. Fought the Turks at Vienna and his family is very old. Gloria's golden hair was twice washed and tightly wound in a style that a merchant in the town of Avon-upon-the-River declared very continental in fashion. A soldier, a diplomat, a noble. And if you or I could catch his eye, then we should never have to worry again. He would surely know a fine young officer or baronet for the loser. She winked. She liked to pretend that there was a rivalry between the two of them. And maybe there was but only in that sisterly way. Even if there was a prize, it would, at an early convenience, be shared between them. Well, except for men. Gloria was a self-possessed queen over them. God bless Victoria, but Gloria would hold the empire together had she but to marry a king. Jane sighed. She must admit to loving the knights, rare and sacred, where dancing and balls were to be had. A handsome men flirting with her and Gloria, but never quite serious enough to catch Jane's heart. Her mother, before she passed, had admonished her to be clever and witty and coy, but grab the prize that was presented. Time and time again, Jane passed over a suitor for being a bore, beating a servant, or just plain alcoholism. Not even a sea captain or baronet or a well-heeled nouveau riche monk. But then there were the mysteries... And Jane loved a mystery. If it had just been her in the car, she might have stuck her head out and read the latest Poe for her father, or to quote one of the criminal tales that made their ways to the scandal sheets of Avon upon the river. She herself had caused a little stir when she had uncovered a horse-stealing ring barely four months ago. Gloria had distracted the young thief long enough for Jane to discover Gloria's father's prized Arabian star four-headed stallion. It's just a pity it'll be a small dinner party, Gloria sighed. 
two girls fighting over one guy isn't much fun. And it's just unfair between the two of us. She fanned her face and grabbed Jane's hand. I promise you, my number one priority will be getting you a husband, equal or better than my own. It turned out that it was not just the Squire Grey, father of Jane, Jane herself, and Gloria Harrow at the Count's table tonight. There were also the Moors and the Hepfords. The Moors were poor, but could claim the most illegitimate relations to Queen Victoria and all of Essex. The Hepfords had been knights in more medieval times. Jane liked Mary Moore, and Gloria hated Tiffany Hepford. They did not talk much. Also, Grandmother Moore prevented Gloria from marrying Dashing Jack Moore, and she had never forgiven it. They were saved from conversation. The servants, who were dressed in styles so old, Squire Grey knew people who had been buried in them, wordlessly took in the horses and coaches. One, dressed in red and gold filigree and a tricorn hat, opened the large double doors. The only lights were in the hall and the dining room ahead. They followed the unspeaking herald into the long main hall. The carpet is moldy, and I've seen several mouse skeletons in the light beams from the door. I don't think anything lives in this house. They must be staying somewhere else, Jane said. She noted the dust and mildew. Look, the only new thing in this house is this painting. A handsome European man stood above three women, one blonde, one brunette, and one raven-haired. The blonde had mostly been torn out. Something happened here. Gloria looked askance at her friend. Come now, I understand he only moved in around midnight last night. The only strange thing is how quickly he is moving to have a welcoming dinner. Oh, but I hope the Count looks like his ancestor. The goatee, the hair, the strength of his muscles. I bet he moves as swiftly as a panther. And as silently as one too. The Count appeared behind them. Count Dracula, at your service. He held out his hand to Gloria first. He put his lips to her knuckles, but took a sniff, as if a pinch of snuff lay between her fingers. English rose is a fine vintage, he said, baring sharp teeth. They weren't animal-like so much as savage. The man's energy burned like a bonfire in the middle of the night. He grudgingly shook Jane's hand. Oh, Count, there is a strong family resemblance. I am Gloria Harrow, and this is Jane Grey. It's a pleasure. Where did you come from? The Count, tall, dark, and handsome, gave both girls a polite little bow, but his eyes positively feasted on Gloria. Why, the mouse corpse study. It's a very famous room. Jane blushed. I apologize. I didn't. The Count laughed. It was dry and stilted. I know. I haven't had the time. But Austrians hate not meeting their neighbors as fast as they could. I wasn't sure of the etiquette here in England. I assure you, I am more comfortable in Dhaka. And what is the word? A dingier. Hose than this. Barracks, too. 
Not that I would tell those stories to two virginal morsels like yourselves. Austria is not a new country, and there are still Roman ruins all over. Gloria put her arm into the crook of the Count's as he offered both to Gloria and Jane. <laughs> Jane loves history. I could never get it, but those Roman women... Is that so? The Count kept up a lively conversation with Gloria, keeping Jane in enough to be polite. When he sat the two down, he left them to greet their fathers. I think I've won this one, Jane. Don't worry, I'll keep my promise. The Count, after he had met the other dinner party guests, clapped his hands once, grandly. Servants, again unspeaking, almost unseeing, pulled out chairs and helped the rest into their seats. Food was presented, wine was poured, and oh, the Count did not stint on his spread. A suckling pig sat paramount at the center of the table, skin crackling like fireworks. A beef stew with strange and heady spices was ladled into bowls. Salad and turnovers acted as islands amongst oceans of gravy, sauces, and soups that none of the English men and women had names for. The decorations were rough and barracks-like. On the walls above the Count's head were muskets and revolvers and sabers and flower-like formations. Deer and boar, like nothing seen in England, hung on mounts above every chair. It was savage, and everything smelled manly. The unmarried girls, even Jane, felt a little lightheaded in the musk, while the married women stayed close to their men with strange looks in their eyes. The only strange thing was that the Count ate nothing, but drank a little wine from the single cup he never filled. Well, that, and he did not say grace, but only Jane saw that. Gloria piped up. Why, sir, this is the best meal I've had this season. My chef was famous in France before an incident involving a suicide ruined his life. Now he curses that he must cook for the English. It is quite the hell for him, the Count said, smiling grandly. Won't you join us? Gloria pouted. Why, my dear, I had to eat at a diplomatic event some hours ago. How can I expect to keep my figure if I fatten myself up? Besides, I love nothing more than to see people eating to their health and fatness. Why? You could say that seeing you happy and your blood run thick with all of the good things of the earth is a meal on its own. The group laughed as he explained the many strange ways Austrians talked about food. The Count had brown eyes when they at first saw him, but now in the lights and the candles, his eyes glowed red. The company was pleasant, and though they could all see that the Count favored Gloria, he danced with all the ladies as one of the servants played an old harpsichord for them. It was only as the squires called for their coaches that they saw that rain poured in a downpour more waterfall than weather. My friends, don't worry. I might not have every amenity laid out, but the sheets are new and I have rooms enough for every man and woman. I will not send you out to death and disease. I would be a poor host. Please. Won't you stay the night? 
Jane left the dinner party as Count Dracula regaled his guests with a tale of battle against the Ottomans. It was a fantastic but bloody tale. His own brother fought against him in the wars. He even brought out medals and awards from his many campaigns to show everyone. Jane, however, was eager to explore the manor and discover what she could of the previous owners and their now mysterious demise. The lightning did morph the lighting of the deathly place, then her candle did. The first thing she looked for were the bedrooms the Count had promised them. The Hollanders had been a massive family, and so had many bedrooms. It was extravagant in a way, but there were enough for twelve or so guests that the Count kept tonight. The bedding and other comforts were being brought in by unspeaking servants who needed no light to perform their tasks. Jane wasn't feeling so sure about the Count and his mysterious appearance. Sure, the Hollanders dying one and all so suddenly of the wasting malady was a shock, but they had been dead and buried to all the proper forms. She was sure that the Count owned the property. She had seen lawyers out and about the town of Avon upon the river, with their black crow-like hats and tall, thin demeanors, yet the servants looked familiar. She could not bear to be near them, and retreated away to the other side of the manor. Above the dining room was the massive library the Hollanders kept, the massive Wycliffe translation of the Bible, all the way back from the 1300s, was gone, as was most of the Wesleyan books old Lord Hollander kept as a hobby. In their place were strange tomes in Eastern European, Baltic, and Balkan tongues. Depictions of reindeer skulls marked some, while others were bound in the strangest binding Jane had ever put under her hands. Even what she could read was dark and portentous. Witches danced in the illustrations. Strange, bat-winged men met in the eaves of burnt churches and gnawed on the bones of the dead. Ottomans were impaled and laid out in rows, their faces screaming and weeping. See? I told you she'd be drawn to your library like a moth to the flame. Gloria's voice cut whatever darkness grew in Jane's chest, gnawing at her heartstrings. Ah, an English colloquialism. Wonderful. Uh, my lawyer, Harkness, likes bots to the belfry. The Count entered the library. Miss Gray, it is truly a strain on the eyes to read in such darkness. Come, it is time to go to bed. My servants are dead on their feet. The Count shut the door behind Jane. I'd be happy to suggest some tomes for you tomorrow morning after breakfast. I know a few that might not be wasted on you. Jane is the smartest girl in the country. She wastes nothing she reads. Gloria was clinging on the Count's arm a bit too much for Jane's comfort. Or maybe there was something in her eyes. There. A blink. She needed Jane for something. The chatter continued in the bedrooms. There, the whole party mingled, laughing and joking as the last mouthfuls of wine were shared and enjoyed. The women were on one side, and the men and couples on the other. Each had their own room, and a window that faced the lightning and the storm outside. The rain was abating, but the lightning struck as strongly as ever. Jane winced. She hadn't marked quite where Gloria was sleeping, but she must get to her soon. She waited fifteen minutes, but then she looked out of the window to see the servants filing out of the mansion and into the garden. 
The first of them, the one with the tricorn hat, opened the door to a massive garden shed and led the rest inside, as the Count forced his servants to live like that. Ugh. She hoped Gloria was having a better chance. The lights were out on all the other windows, as best she could see. She left her room to the last on the row. The carpet was old, but still quite thick. The strange flavors and savors of the meal mixed with the almost rot of the floorboards to create a strange smell of age and death. It was not enough to merely be old. It must leak the miasma of age as well. She put her ear to the door. She could hear breathing and a slow gasp. The Count spoke. Ah, a little local flavor. Beats a night on the town. Wonderful, wonderful. Even if it is not the prize I sought. He whispered it mostly to himself, but loud enough for Jane to hear at the keyhole. She knocked on the door. Gloria! It's Jane! I'm coming in! She opened the door. As she expected, her friend was there on the bed, facing the window, which was flung open and slamming in the night's wind and wrath. She ran for the window, hoping to look at the Count directly, but horror gripped her heart. The Count walked down the wall of the Hollander mansion as calmly as a gentleman on his evening constitutional. He did not look up, but Jane could see a bemused expression on his face. He stepped onto the wet grass as easily as a man walks down a stairway. He neared the shed, stared at it, waggling his fingers and baring his teeth, which looked remarkably like fangs in the light. The lightning flashed, and against the laws of physics, his shadows stretched out and seized the shed flying into it, all this in a flash. He turned and Jane slammed the window shut. She turned to her friend, who was not her friend at all, but Tiffany Hetford. She was as blonde as Gloria, but hardly as beautiful, being stuck with, as Gloria put it, a too big nose and a too short dress. Jane saw to her friend's rival, who slept like the dead. The only strange marks were two red dots, a little blood on her neck. Apparently, the Count's bedsheets were not so clean as he promised. Had she heard what she had heard? Seen what she had seen? She looked out the window. The Count was still at the shed, a smirk on his lips. He opened the door and entered into it. She saw him glance up at the window as he shut the doors. The dining party was becoming quite the mystery. Forgetting Gloria, she left the room almost trance-like. She had to know the answer to the shed's mystery. She stopped by her room where she had put her purse before going to visit Gloria. In it was her Lady Devonshire's detective kit. Inside there were quite a few things Jane had found useful over the years of solving mysteries. A set of fingerprint dust kits, very modern, a ruler for measuring boot prints, strike anywhere matches, a set of skeleton keys, and nail files... The thing she took was a small dagger, a stiletto, which a cousin had given her as a keepsake from Italy. All the fashionable ladies in Rome had one, she had been told, but she was glad for the protection. The lightning and thunder remained, but even the wind had died. All were still, as the tombs of the Hollander family just beyond the shed. The atmosphere weighed on her like a heavy cloak. The clouds flew and fought with each other, blasting the whole sky with heat lightning. She could not imagine the power being unleashed but thought that this must be more like the cannon fire of Lepanto. The path to the shed, at least, was paved with small white stones that slipped underfoot. Every now and then a strange piece of fabric or 
flesh was littered by the side. Another gift from the strange dirt and grime the Hollander Mansion lived and breathed in the absence of a family. The shed bent and rumbled in the wind. Jane opened the door and fell back in terror. A bat flew at her face, smacking her with its bony, skin-tight wings. She screamed in shock, and the bat screamed back before flying up into the night. Just a bat she whispered once she had uncurled herself the black door of the shed remained open she pulled herself up and walked in she could see nothing but could smell perfume and rot mixed together like the sweat of a gardener fleshy musk and more than flesh but green stuff and roses she couldn't see a thing she fumbled out one of her matches and struck it she froze around her were the dead and the servants of dracula the front ones were the servants she had seen close relatively well dressed if stiffly so the rot only visible close up the next ranks got worse now she could see the bits of skull or the muscles of raisin-like eyes the next rank were those that she had not seen so closely they were unmistakable cadavers some roiling with the bodies of beetles and maggots and flies just under the skin the last of them was nothing more than a dry skeleton with a mummified stretching of skin over the bones in its hand it held a mask almost human it was well dressed if archaic she saw that the other hand held a tricorn hat like the servant who had let them in none of the servants she had seen were living men and women all were the dead hollander family she burned her fingers on the match and the shock of it broke the macabre spell that the dead filled shed had woven around her she turned and walked out when she shut the door she vomited she had the presence of mind not to vomit on her wet dress or the shoes gloria had bought her why thought must have been quite a shock the masculine voice of dracula rolled in under the thunder I'm afraid you've discovered my secret. Necromancy? Why, yes. And more. I am a regent of the night, a lord of darkness, servant of the morning star, a king of vampires, and I need my throat. He purred. She didn't know how he had gotten so close to her, but he glided across the ground in a moment. He had her in his arms. She melted before his gaze. His blood-red eyes burned. I was looking for a new bride. I am preferential to blonde beauties, but I can be convinced to bring you in as well. Your friend Gloria could be quite the meal. But you are, ah, food for thought. He laughed. Jane realized he could see more of her than she intended. Her dress had been torn by the bat, and her bodice was ripped. You monster! I won't be eaten by you! Jane cried. She jammed her stiletto into his shoulder. He roared in pain. You wretch! I'll burn out your heart. Hair spread from his head down his face into his hands. His clothing, well cut before, burst asunder as his muscles grew and twisted. Jane ran for the door. Sulfur and flame licked at her heels. She slammed into the door, opening it and throwing herself in. The hellhound, the count, smashed into the doorframe one massive paw, like the paw of a lion clawing for Jane. 
She screamed and kicked the door shut with all the strength she had. The hellhound got his shoulder in, and Jane could see the dagger in its meat. Risking her skin, she let the claws get close, and then grabbed the stiletto, pulling it and jamming it into the clawed arm. She raked it lengthways against the hellhound's paw and ripped as much of it the length as she could. The transformed couch screeched and pulled out his arm. The door slammed shut, and Jane spent more than a few minutes on the foyer floor, breathing in the dust and the sulfurous blood. Gloria! She sprang up onto her feet and ran up the stairs to the bedroom floor. She barged into the third room. Gloria sat on a bed, weeping. Gloria, are you okay? Gloria ran to her and clasped her hands. No, I will be, but no, not now. What happened? Did the Count attack you? No! Did you get attacked by an animal, or...? No, no, it's worse than that! Jane's heart caught in her chest. What happened? Tell me. The Count, I've discovered, is... is... not Austrian! She wailed. He's Romanian, and not a Budapest Romanian but a small, no-named place called Transylvania. I saw his medals. You remember John Parr, the sea captain? He showed me all the medals he collected around the world, including one I saw on the Count's chest, one that could only have been gotten if he was a part of the Transylvanian noble family. The Count is poor, Jane. Poor and Romanian. Jane breathed out through her nose. Well, Gloria, he's also a vampire. A monster of night and blood, sucking life from maidens like us. Gloria wept into her handkerchief anew. And we're going to have to put him to rest. For good. They spent the night always near each other. They heard the hellhound howl and rage. Sometimes things smashed and shattered. Once a claw reached up and scraped the glass at their window, but they saw no more of him. Gloria cared for Jane, stitching up her dress and wiping away the strange, cloying mud of the garden outside. When morning came, they heard the hellhound howl one last time. The howl turned from the guttural scream of a dog to the cry of a man. At the last of it, it turned into a laugh. The men and women left their beds when the last syllable echoed over the mansion. Squire Gray met with Jane and her friend. He checked them both and saw that they were unhurt. He led them down into the dining room looking for servants that they saw last night. The table was full of food that had rotted days ago, if it were ever fresh. Next, they moved on to the horses, where they found them uncared for and still hooked to their coaches. The two girls were forgotten in the father's concern for their horses. Jane pulled her friend aside. I've read Colliderie's The Vampire. I was trying to think about it all the time you were talking and all those weird puns. But it didn't come together until the man called himself a vampire. I'm so stupid. But he must be asleep right now. We can put an end to him. Or at least drive him from our fair Avon upon the river. It is still an extreme reaction to kill him for being Romanian. She returned to the dining room where she took a cavalry sword from the walls. Whatever rot the Count had fed them, the weapons were real. It was heavy, but she could wield it with two hands. The two of them walked into the main hall, where they entered last night. Where would he be? Did he tell you anything? Jane asked. No, 
but he did come from the mouse corpse study, as he called it. If he's a villain, like that Ruthvin, he probably has a secret study. I must admit, murder didn't appeal at first, but it's starting to feel glamorous. Jane followed her in. She tossed the desk, searching for something, while Gloria tested the light features. You know, I was friends with Robert Hollander, and he sometimes talked weirdly about his father's reading habits, and... She and Jane searched the bookshelves. There's something about architecture. Jane pulled the book labeled Secret Entrances and How to Hide Them. The bookcase swung back on a silent hinge. The two of them braced against the fetid air. Jane went down first, holding the sword in front of them. Gloria held a lantern high, illuminating a thin staircase. Spiderwebs brushed their hair. Sometimes the whole house creaked and stretched, sending dust onto their heads. They found a coffin at the bottom of the stairs, raised up on a dais of black earth. Its make was old and rotted. A strange design like a bat or a dragon was carved on the top. Jane raised the saber. Gloria put her fingers under the latch and hauled, diving out of the way. Eyes averted, Jane swung the saber down, cutting into the monster's neck. She picked up Gloria from the floor and both ran from the cellar, up the stairs, past the study, and back to her father, just as he was wondering where they had gone. As their father led the horses away, Gloria started to sniffle. <laughs> he was so handsome, though. Even if he pretended he was from Austria and rich and jane patted her hand you're better off without him dear you would have found it draining dracula waited for the girls to leave without saying anything a part of him wanted to attack the two of them then and there but morning was coming soon and girls who had ideas about killing vampires didn't make the best brides he shrugged in a practical way and dumped the beheaded body of a zombie from his casket. He held up the head. Horatio, I guess I'm not cut out for this neighborhood. 